Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. This episode is part two of our conversation with Dr. Lynn Mead on the high impact practice of ePortfolios in higher education. Thanks for being with us. Here we go. Yeah, another, we were talking about what holds students and instructors back from ePortfolios. I think you had another idea there. Absolutely. I was brainstorming with one of my colleagues, Toby Phoebus, and we were thinking about what is it that would, with all of these great things happening, why would someone not want to? And um, of course, we hit the thesaurus and we looked up neophobia, neo phobia new fears we are afraid of things that are new some of us think about technophobia we're just afraid that we're not going to do the technology in the communication field oftentimes we talk about like uncertainty reduction we're afraid of things that we don't know or don't understand or that are out of our comfort zone and i think as a teacher, sometimes I have this fear of losing control. I know what works in my classroom and I know what I can teach them and assess and I know how to get that. And at first, ePortfolio was new and I didn't know how to manage this, to control all aspects of this when I gave students this creative reign. And so I think all of those are fears that teachers have and and students have and why they might not want to try it. And so as we were thinking about this, I thought, let's come up with a new fear. And that is, um, my students tell me FOMO is a thing. Yes. Fear (laughs) of missing out. And I think ePortfolio is the thing. I think it is the, the old thing that is being revived. I think it is the new thing. I think it is the wave of the future. I think we are seeing an increase in it in employers wanting it and in higher ed wanting to see these large assessment pieces. And I think that our biggest fear should be that we're going to miss out. And if we as teachers do not adopt it, that our students have a potential to miss out. Our programs have a potential to miss out. We do not want them to miss out on being career ready, on being able to show what they know, being able to reflect on their learning, which is why you need to start working on yours <laughs> right away. Come on, Cammie. I don't want to have FOMO. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, were there any other concerns or things that might hold instructors back Even or students that back? Maybe you've heard from instructors here. Of like why they yeah. wouldn't maybe want to implement any portfolio at this time at least, or maybe, yeah, I'm just curious. I think the main thing I hear from instructors who think it's a good idea but are a little hesitant is they're worried about, I don't know that I can teach the tech. Okay. Or I don't feel like I know the tech or I'm not confident enough in the tech myself and I'm not sure I want to invest the time to learn it, which was why we made the videos. Yeah. And we had the website and we have the templates. And so An instructor, I feel, still should spend a little bit of time, which is why I built my own website right away. I built my own e-portfolio because first off, I was curious, but second off, it helps me. And third off, it helps me to help my students in some really creative ways. And so there is an investment a little bit of time, but 
as instructors, that's true of any assignment we build. If I create a writing assignment, I'm going to have to research sources and I'm going to have to research the best way to write it and I'm going to have to create a rubric. This is no different. There is a time investment in creating any kind of good assessment that students use, and that is true here. Yeah. The see one, do one, teach one applies very directly to portfolios just as any other, like you said, assessment. Yeah. So I do want to mention here... Uh, the use of e-portfolios in courses is actually one of the high-impact practices at our university. Uh, we call them HIPs. Uh, but I'm curious, from your perspective, Dr. Mead, why is e-portfolios included as a high-impact practice at our university? First off, I do want to mention that, yes, the Association of American Colleges and Universities has done extensive research and has found that there are certain things that, as a university, we can do that help students have significant and meaningful outcomes beyond college. And that's the HIPS that you just referenced. And so when ePortfolios was included in HIPS, it was done so for several reasons. One, it is a great way to document learning. It shows what you know. But on the higher level, it's that reflective portion that we've talked about. Now, there's an education term, metacognition, which is thinking about our thinking. And the more that we think about our thinking and thinking about why we do the way the things we do and the intention behind it, the more that we move to deeper level learning. And what we know with portfolios is it leads to deeper learning, which also translates to longer term learning. So if I have done the assignment and then I have had to write about why it was meaningful and then I talk about why it can impact my future and then in some way my teacher has assessed it or I show it to my parents or I have professionals look at it, then I'm thinking about it again and then I have this document that maybe in some way I will look back on, then the learning just keeps growing and it it's sticky. It's sticky learning. The other thing is it's powerful for connections. And I think sometimes what happens is students don't realize what does this assignment have to do with this assignment? And how does this in some way relate to an objective? And why do I care about objectives? Or how does what I learn in history in some way relate to what I've learned in science class? And so depending on the type of portfolio, the connection, of course, is going to be different. But it helps to make those meaningful connections, which again, we know leads to deeper level of learning. In the case of the portfolio that I present, and even the one Alex referenced earlier that he did a program portfolio, I think it helps students to think like professionals. So rather than just, I'm just doing an assignment so I get my grade, it's like, how can this help me and think about my future? And when I talk to my students in the portfolio class and the significant learning points, that was one of them for them. They were like, oh, and I'm dealing with sophomore and juniors. They're like, I never really thought about having to work to be a professional or that, you know, I knew I was going to graduate and there was something on the other end, but I hadn't really thought that direction. And I hadn't really thought about what all of these things I'm doing means for that. And so really helping them to make that cognitive growth and professional growth is really big. Depending on the type of portfolio, it can showcase career readiness. So we look at how students are developing leadership, communication, understanding of diversity, different sorts of things to help them to be career ready. 
I have my students watch a video, and, and in the video they reference personal branding. And I think it was, he asks an interesting question. He says, what is your personal brand? And he said, I bet some of you are thinking, I don't have a personal brand. And he says, well, that's your brand. Because if you tell somebody your name, they may go and search you on the internet. And whatever they find, whether it's your Instagram, whether it's your Pinterest, that's your personal brand for them. And I think a portfolio of all sorts, all three types, can become part of that personal brand. And I think it lets students become intentional with developing that brand. And then finally, we've already referenced networking. I have the opportunity to share what I've learned with those outside of the class in lots of different ways, whether it be the stakeholders, my family, whether it be potential employers. And a lot of my students, they would send their portfolio to their families because they were proud of it. And then their families were proud of them. So they would send it to their professional network. And then they're already saying, oh, so-and-so is interested in talking to you once you graduate. And that connection happened because of the networking from portfolios. Yeah. So uh, first, I think we're going to be using the term sticky learning again. I, I really like sticky learning. I do too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so they're, they're getting longer retention of what they've learned and also able to make connections to uh, their lives and what they're actually going to do with that learning. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that applicability reflecting on the assessment and how it relates to that long-term opportunity, I think it's also it's a good vantage point, too, for the instructor to look back on that, too, as they're looking what pieces would I encourage students to put in that portfolio. It helps the instructor even continue to refine their courses and say, do my assessments really match the long-term outcomes that I that I want my students to have? That would Do I have things that I want them to include in portfolios and why or why not? The so what? You can kind of reflect and ask that question as an instructor as well, which is, is incredibly valuable. So it has this dual benefit. It's not just for the students. It's for the instructor to continue to, to reflect on their own work. Do you – one other question I wanted to, to ask here because you work a lot, like you said, with sophomores and juniors, most of the time who are the on-campus students. Here at Global Campus, we're working with a slightly different demographic, although for my program, I was in that demographic. I was a late 20s, early 30-something completing my online master's degree, and I got to implement an e-portfolio through the program assessment would you anticipate any significant differences or things that would need to be kept in mind for a student who's working with this or an instructor who's working with an e-portfolio in that asynchronous online environment versus getting to to deploy them or teach them face-to-face? Or do you well, have a, a different way to ask that? No, I just want to add on uh, to this question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> and that is because we see a different population in our asynchronous online courses, right. uh, like Alex was talking about. They're usually kind of our uh, older students who are parents already, you know, working parents sometimes, um, and maybe professionals already. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's usually kind of, I mean, not always, but a lot of times that's our big difference between asynchronous uh, and in-person students. couple thoughts. First... <laughs> I think overall, 
teaching and incorporating ePortfolios into a class is going to be the same for the, the asynchronous as it is for the on-campus because the principles are the same, the benefits are the same, the general writing of the assignments are the same. I think, again, the videos are already in place, but I think if, a, if an instructor wanted to adopt and use those, they still need to make some of their own videos in their own voice because I think sure. that that's going to give confidence in their students. Even if they're like, we're going to create this portfolio. This is how we're going to do it. Here's a link to the videos to help you with these sorts of things. But I do think that that would be an important part that they don't just embrace and use everything that already exists because I think students need that. I think when you're looking at the second question, which was how do you sell that to someone who may already be a career professional? Yeah. What are the benefits maybe to them? Yeah. I think, again, if we look at the heart of an e-portfolio is the portfolio and at the heart of portfolio is reflection. The ability to reflect on learning is going to be the most important. And I don't think that that is age or life area specific. And the ability to think about why does this have meaning? I have taught several of the online classes and I find that some of my working adults tend to be some of the most reflective because they have opportunities to know what this means and why this means. And I think that they they have some of that hindsight as well as, you know, the foresight to know how can this help me in the future. And I think their ability to help that relate. And I think if you are in a career field and you are documenting the things that you learn in college and you are documenting how that relates to your career field, it seems like it would be nice to put into like, oh, here, I want to get promoted. Here, look at the progress that I have made. And that would help with that natural progression as well. And also sometimes our working adults are wanting to have a career change. In other words, I am working in this field, but I'd really like to do something else, which is why I'm going back to school. And then it would help them to have the documents they need to supplement a resume that may be heavy in one area, but not in the area that they're wanting to move towards. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to throw a little curveball, Alex, and put you on the spot. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say that normally I wouldn't do this, but that's, that's not quite true. Um, since you've used that ePortfolio in a program as a student, right? what was that like for you? And what do you think the benefits or maybe obstacles uh, that you found were? And how did you use it? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> so, question. It's a, it's a lot of questions. Just sorry. Yeah, I think I've been able to do some key term reflection over the last few years after completing it because, again, I was first really introduced to the concept at the end of my, my e-tech program, and I didn't have the language at the time to understand this was a program assessment portfolio, and it was marketed a little bit from the instructor level as a professional portfolio, but I think in some ways it was blending the two. It was definitely a program assessment in a way to provide at the end of the core or the the program to demonstrate how have I met these learning outcomes. And it really forced me to sit back and think about what were the key elements of this program that I both enjoyed the most and also saw the most benefit from. It helped me see the strategic planning wasn't my my strong suit. It was the the visual literacy. It was the 
development of, of learning outcomes and objectives. And that helped me kind of hone in what I was hoping to do more with educational technology coming out of the program. I saw my aptitude and desire and how it linked to my previous background in secondary education with my undergrad to want to target my my goals into instructional design and into, if possible, the higher education sector. So it did help me think about, you know, I wasn't necessarily wanting to go at least in the initial phase of my venturing into this new potential career field into that corporate side of things. Um, if, if that opened up, I was fine with that. But it, it, it helped me kind of reflect on, okay, what am I wanting to do with this? And then I completed the, the e-portfolio for the program assessment um, outcome. And then I did have to take some time as I was getting ready to enter into the job application to, to think, okay, depending on what job I was applying for, the portfolio did evolve. I substituted out certain artifacts for other artifacts. And it, it very much, I, I realized as I've gotten into it, and I, I still update it about every three to six months. I kind of reflect on what have I done quarterly or what have I done so far this year and how can I answer maybe. And I've, I've swapped out artifacts continuously as it's become more of that professional portfolio where I just want to continue to reflect on what am what skills am I continuing to develop as a professional in this field that I want to be able to showcase should I have the need to showcase it. And so it continually has that opportunity to be a, a space of self-reflection as a professional continuing to grow in my field and continuing to want to develop. And so, and it's there if, you know, again, can our manager, I, I love my job. I love what I'm doing here. I'm not looking for something else, but you know, should should the situation ever arise where I, I need to use that for job applications in our field, I think it does yeah. become something that's much more applicable. It's there and ready to go. Well, I was thinking even for our yearly, our annual evaluation, sure. Um, sure. that's really great evidence that could be easily linked on our uh, self-evaluation forms. Yeah, yeah, because I keep tracking and this is how many new developments I've done. This is how many revisions I've done. This is how many ultra conversions I've done. I, I try and keep a running total in the portfolio. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Was it a running yeah. total or is it per term? It's Well, it's about at the end of those three to six months, kind of I, I go back and say, okay, I did these many courses. I'm going to update that number from 12 to 16 now or, or whatever it might be. Um, and so it it does have that, not even just professional from a job hunt standpoint, but professional from a how am I growing as a professional in the development side to to really benefit? And so that's that's become more of what it is currently. Again, it might become something that helps me in the in the market down the road if that's necessary, but it 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 has multiple benefits. Yeah. And I think one of the benefits of it being the electronic part is that you can turn parts on and off. Yes. And I do that with mine, depending on who's looking, I might say, this is not important to right. them. And I'll just turn that right. page off when I send it out to these folks. And then I might turn it back on later for another audience. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a fun creative outlet too, um, because I, it, it, it's my space that I get to determine. I use Wix for mine. Again, it's, it, the, the platform doesn't really matter. Whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you can develop with, 
And so for my personal portfolio, it's fun to get in there sometimes and say, I want to change my, my color scheme. And that's you're talking about brand. Mm-hmm. It's like this is what I want to showcase to others. This is the font style I want. This is the color scheme I want. This is the photo I want. I think I've seen yours. You probably have. Because I think we talked about this when we were creating our bios for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So oh, now, now that you were talking about your Wix page, I'm like, I think I saw that. <laughs> And I think I, I have my students attach it to their signatures. Yes. And I'm amazed at how many people will look at mine and they'll yeah. s- they'll comment. They'll be like, oh, I was looking at your portfolio and this and this and this and how it has opportunity for contacts yeah. that I didn't go looking for. for sure. Speaking of it from a, from a networking standpoint too, I actually, when I started working here about a year ago for my business card... And this also worked when we were doing the ePortfolio or the the HIPS um, presentation over the summer to to faculty and staff on campus. I have it as a QR code on the back of my business card. So anyone who I'm networking with and connect with, oh, hey, here's my card. And on the back, if you you scan that QR code, it's going to take you to my ePortfolio, which will show some of what I do. And I used it during our our HIPS um, show and tell to give people an example and, but it also has that dual dual benefit. Oh, and also you get to learn a little bit more about me and as a professional and there's a connection point there. You know me beyond just a name. Here's something else. So, And again, with my students, I have them put it on their signature. If they have business cards, they put it on their cards and they put it on their LinkedIn. Yeah. So again, you've got this huge networking potential. For sure. Yeah. All kinds of cool. I feel like I need an e-portfolio now. You do. You do. We need, we're gonna have to work on this for sure. Yes. I'm gonna have to read the ebook. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Dr. So. Me's ebook. And just as a fun fact, I told you I put it on my signature. Well, I sent my parents an email. And my dad got into my portfolio and and I get this call and he says, your mom and I have spent the whole day looking at your portfolio. We had no idea you've done all these things. And so, you know, I've been in education more than 20 years and my parents are still proud of me. And we talk about just that larger piece that gets to be part of who you are and what you know with these. And that's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. That is so sweet. I do think the other thing I wanted to mention that is the hot topic right now is artificial intelligence. Yes. We talk about that quite a bit too. As teachers, we are sitting in a position where we're like, how can I create assessments that students can't cheat on? And I think that it's the wrong question. I think we need to be asking how can I help my students to be ready for a world, a workplace, a future that includes AI? And I think that we can teach our students to leverage AI as they build their portfolios. Yes, this is actually something we talk about in our first episode on AI. Uh, and we kind of think of it as the new uh, kind of redefining literacy, if you will. This is a new kind of literacy. Oh, I like that. That's good. Absolutely. And so I think that we can help them to learn to use the tool and to leverage the tool. But at the same time, because they have to be writing about experiences that are unique to them, they can't just AI those assessments. So we are helping them be prepared, but we're also creating meaningful assessments where I don't have to spend all of my time going, how can I catch them Yeah, if they're cheating? That's a key function of not AI proofing, but 
creating assessments that only use AI as a supplement rather than the, the main focus of it because the reflection is the key piece there. I am working on a course right now where the instructor has the students do a lot of journal reflecting through videos that she has the students watch and not just answer the quiz questions after, but actually like, what are your thoughts on this and how does this impact you? And, and I always try, I say always, I sometimes try to run certain prompts and assessments that instructors create through chat GPT or another AI to see what it gives. And I'll send that to the instructor to say, hey, just so this is on your radar, these are the kinds of responses that AI is going to generate from your prompt so that you can be aware of it. One, to know, does it actually meet the prompt? And two, does if a student starts to utilize it, are you going to see certain similarities? But one of the key things I've noticed in this particular course that I'm assisting with is the way she designs her prompts if you run it through an AI, the first thing the AI says is, as an AI software model, I do not have personal experiences and therefore cannot fully meet this prompt. And so it, it even kind of leverages that. So the reflection piece is that very human and unique synthesis of, of ideas and synthesis of experience that AI isn't going to be able to fully replicate. So it might give students a little bit of a, of a leg up. It, it'll provide some of it, but it does it from that cold like robotic reflective piece. It's not thinking of the the human experience. It's thinking of just the logical, this is the answer to your question, but it's not providing that actual experiential component. And so I think that's, again, you want to see how does AI actually function in helping maybe the E side, developing my portfolio, making it function in a, in a particular way. But I need to provide the the flair yeah. and the, the humanity of the the reflection of it AI can't replicate that. Well, and I think that's kind of the question that people are struggling with and the fear that people have is where do humans fit into this world and especially in terms of career and work um, with AI in the mix? And, and that's the piece. That's the piece that AI cannot give. What can humans give that AI cannot at least at this point. Yet. <laughs> the <laughs> ominous. Da, 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 da. Well, and I think that's what makes sharing your portfolio so helpful because an employer is going to have a resume, which are kind of boring. They're useful, but they, you know, yeah. are, are, are not that great at describing what you know. And then you're having a cover letter, which these days are written more and more with artificial intelligence. And so they know that and we know that. So again, this is not a very good piece of who I am. And so if I'm including my portfolio in that, there's a level of personalization yeah. that I think that we all hope sticks around. Right. Absolutely. And that we can leverage it again to help. I, 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 for one, am grateful I don't spend so much time correcting my students' grammar, right? So we are grateful that this exists. Well, um, I, I do think that personalization will be more of a commodity um, because that lack of connectedness uh, has been such a big deal now. Uh, but also, I mean, it's it's been coming on for a long time. Uh, you know, the pandemic kind of accelerated um, the lack of connectedness. Um, but when you actually meet with someone in the business world and you're able to get that personalization, you're able to find some connectedness with them, it's such a big impact now because it's not something you experience all the time. I think students are hungry to do work that's meaningful. 
And I think departments are looking for faculty who are willing to create assessments that provide proof of impact. And I think teachers are eager to create assessments that are going to create opportunities for long-term learning for our students. And I think ePortfolios works for all of those groups. And really, we are committed at the university to learning. And at the heart of good learning is reflection. At the heart of good learning is creating meaningful things that give students an opportunity to learn and to reflect and to share what they know in meaningful ways, which is why I am so supportive of something that helps them to show what they know. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Mead. It was great having you. For those listening, don't forget to check out our show notes where we'll have lots of great resources referenced throughout the episode, including the OER textbook. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pedagogy Toolkit. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.